Father, this is a very unique and as a senior pastor, we're well aware of how the emotions are so wide-ranging. There are going to be women here who have not yet had children. There are women here who have children. There are women here who have lost children. There are people here this morning that have the privilege of later on contacting mom, wish her well. And there are others, self-included, who no longer have her in our presence. And so, Father, what we need to do is to swing the pendulum widely and be able to minister effectively to all the various people in all these services here today. And we're asking, Father, that your wisdom through your spirit meet each and every one of these Father, you know the needs. You know what keeps us awake at night. You know the highs and the lows of life. You know the joys and you know the sorrows of life. We think of Jesus' mother and the joy that she had when she was able to bring Jesus into that temple. And she also was loyal to him at the cross where Jesus would look down upon that cross and say to John, so, Father, there's a richness here found in all of the scriptures that relates to the experiences of a day like today. So, Father, in these moments to come, we're asking that once again that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these lives. Once again, now, Father, we've come here, we've come here to see Jesus. We're here to honor mothers, of course. But, Father, we praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a wonderful book, How to Raise a Mom. You try to do that? Well, there's lots of wisdom here for those of us that are involved in the process of raising a mom. So I thought I would give you some objectives, some insights here from the book might help you to better equip yourself to raise her well because it begins with raising a happy healthy mom is fun it's important but are you ready for some tips are you ready well now help your mom begin the day how to start her morning begin with uh, let her sleep in and then open the curtain and say, rise and shine, your breakfast is ready. Now, it goes on to say that a mom can forget things when she's in a rush. So pile it all up at the door. Her snacks, her toys, her purse, her keys, her phone, the shopping list, the library books to return, and so on. Now, furthermore, errands are fun until you get in a long line. So if mom starts to get cranky, surprise her, you see, with a snack and toys. Now, you do that, and you're on your way to, well, you're on your way to raising a mom, which is what we want to talk about this morning, raising a mom. So 
so what I want to do is to draw out some objectives here that are found in these verses that will help you to raise mom well. And the first comes out of verse 10 down to verse 12. And we're going to put it like this, that if you are going to raise a mom, again, be sure to consider, first of all, the value she is to possess, the value that she is to possess and as you do that, I want you to understand true value. It's not a hardware store. True value. It's the wife here being described. And notice how it begins, an excellent wife who can find. Now, what I want you to bear in mind at this point is that this is Lemuel's mother posing this question now to Lemuel. It's a rhetorical question. It's to get him thinking because there might be a bride-to-be in the forecast, and he's going to have to be wise in the way in which he goes about this. But when she opens with these words for him to consider in the form of a rhetorical question, she begins with an excellent wife who can find. The word excellent in the Hebrew carries with it the idea of strength of character. And what captures my attention is that in the book of Ruth, here is this woman, a Moabitess, who in verse 11 of the third chapter of the book of Ruth, hears a man by the name of Boaz say this to her. Let me start with verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. There was an age difference between the two of them. But I'm fascinated by the fact that this future husband already is talking about the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And as he does so, she is being introduced again to a covenantal relationship with God through the Messiah who is to come, the Messiah who will come through Ruth, a Moabitess, which you can read about in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the Matthew account. But he goes on to say, you have made this last kindness. In the Hebrew word, it's hesed. It was a word that was used to describe God's relationship to his people. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. And what interests me is that that was a common word that God used for the Jewish people. And here's a Moabitess hearing this word being used to describe her. See how concerned he is to communicate it effectively? Well, now, you get to verse 11, and there is the age difference between them. And he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. She might be afraid. She's in a different cultural setting. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And the word in the Hebrew for a worthy woman here is the same word which is used in Proverbs chapter 31 for this woman, for an excellent wife. Isn't that interesting? So now, in the Jewish community, they're having to think about how this word was used historically, and it was used to describe, of all people now, Ruth, among others. Read on. Who can find? In other words, what's being said at this point is that she's not easy to find. You're going to have to be discerning, and you're going to have to be persevering, 
And if you are a parent raising children, what you want to do is to equip them to be discerning and have the capacity to persevere and be patient, trying to determine the type of person who eventually is to be married, who can find. <coughs> but then notice the value statement. She's far more precious than saying no matter what you've achieved, no matter what you've earned, this mother is now saying to Lemuel, there's something more of greater value here. Recognize it. And in the home, communicate it. Then in verses 11 and 12, in summary form, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he'll have no lack of gain. She does him good, no harm all the days of her life. As I read that, I thought about something that Elizabeth George had penned in one of her volumes. She writes wonderfully for women in particular who need to grapple with the whole realm of their womanhood. Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of Charles Spurgeon, his ministry was demanding day and night, day and night, week by week, year by year. He became concerned that he might be neglecting the children, she writes, and so Spurgeon returned home earlier than usual one evening. At opening the door, he was incredibly surprised to find none of the children in the hall. So going up the stairs, he heard his wife's voice and knew that she was engaged in prayer with the children. It's what comes next that captures my attention. One by one, she named the children in the room. I would say even to those who have not yet married, but anticipate that someday you might, start praying for potential children. Start bringing them before the Lord. And for those who have children, when you pray over them, Make it so connected personally between God and no matter how old that child is. I do this in Texas quite a bit with kids spread out around the country. But nonetheless, they need to hear the name. So when she finished her prayer, Spurgeon thought, I can go back to the meeting now. The children are well cared for. That's the picture here of what's being described in these verses at this point. That if you're going to raise a mom, well, you got to, first of all, you've got to be sure to consider the value that she's to possess in verses 10 to 12. But now, there's a second objective for all of you who are raising moms, you see. If you're going to raise a mom, well, furthermore, be sure to consider the work that she's to accomplish. And there's a lot of work she's going to have to do and I want you to see the work that begins to unfold. And what I want you to be thinking about at this point is that the sort of woman that we're describing here is what we will call a biblical manager. God is the owner. She's the manager of what takes place in that house. So it says she seeks wool and flax. It doesn't come to her. 
this is a proactive woman at this point. There is a purposefulness to the way in which she takes on the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax. But I want you to see here now, in that one verse of verse 13, you move from the visual to the tactile. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. And in the Hebrew, willing is highlighted. In other words, this is coming from the heart. It's not merely coming from the hand. And so what this woman, and that's being described here, the mom that you're raising at this point, your objective is that there is going to have to be a hard emphasis here. The idea is that everything is flowing from the heart, that there's a sense of willingness, even when she's tired, and you've got to equip her and strengthen her and encourage her through these days. Now, you get to verse 14, and it's probable that Lemuel has walked the shoreline. And as he has walked the shoreline, she has captured the imagery of what would connect with his mindset. And so she says to him, she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Again, what I see here is a biblical manager at this point. She is very purposeful in the way in which she approaches things. There's perseverance in the way she approaches things. But now, in verse 15, what I want you to see here is what I'll call the biblical management of provisions. She rises while it is yet night. In other words, what we're saying here is that the woman being described in poetic form here is not being governed by time. She is a manager of time. In other words, she is the manager of both days and nights. Now, the danger is in our culture is to begin to mismanage our time. But she's proactive. She's not reactive. She says, okay, sun's not up yet. However, there's something to be done. And so what you and I spot in verse 15 is that there is the biblical management of provisions that are being spoken of. She provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. And then you move from the management of provisions, 15, into what's spoken of in 16. She considers a field, buys the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. Now, Israel is an agricultural culture. This is the time period in which it's written. And so thinking about Israel, well, Elizabeth George, once again, I couldn't sleep full-blown case of jet lag was the reason. My husband, a professor, Jim, he and I arrived from Jerusalem the day before after 15 hours of flight, stopover in London. We had already been awake for several hours in our hotel room inside the old city of Jerusalem, waiting for daylight with the excuse to throw on some clothes and begin our 21-day study in the Holy Land 
We've been too tired the day before to appreciate much of what had taken we had taken in through blurred eyes, but now we're ready. The sun's about to rise, and it did. Standing shoulder to shoulder in the dawning light, we, we heard bells from distant corners of the old city heralding a new day. Sky brightened in the east. We could see the centuries-old walls fortifying the old city of Jerusalem, flags flying atop David's citadel, panorama of, yeah, the Temple Mount, can't miss it, where Christ had walked, and will walk again in the future, was breathtaking to us. But what she pens next captures my attention. Then I saw him on a rooftop. On a rooftop nearby, a woman was hard at work. A laundry was already hung on a line. This elderly Jewish woman's front door was open, allowing the morning air to cool the stone house before the day's heat set in, and they do that. Her porch was already swept, scrubbed, and now she was at work on her rooftop, cutting some fresh flowers that grew there in pots. She then carried them into her home along with several ripe lemons and picked, they were picked from her rooftop citrus trees that she managed. And as Elizabeth George pens these thoughts, I have a picture of a biblical manager at work. If her husband was the CEO, she's definitely the COO. She is chief operations officer here and she's managing the provisions, but Furthermore, uh, notice what it says in verse 17. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She attended Jewish Zumba, you see, and uh, body pump and stuff like that. Why? Because she needs stamina. If you're going to be a biblical manager in this culture, then you're going to need the necessary stamina to be able to not only handle matters, say, in the workplace, but also matters within the home. And this woman evidently is developing stamina, not for her own sake only, but also for the household. Because she knows that if she's going to be effective as a biblical manager within and without the home, she's going to have to be involved in what I would call biblical management of health. She's a biblical manager of provision. She's a biblical manager of health. She is taking care of yourself. Moms, are you taking care of yourselves? You're doing it for your sake. You're doing it for others' sake. Sign up for your next Jewish Zumba. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. In other words, she's now looking at the merchandise, and the word here for perceiving means there's an evaluation process unfolding. She's trying to determine, okay, how much profit can be gained from this piece of merchandise. And notice again, she is furthermore a biblical manager of time. Her lamp does not go out at night. That takes me back to when my parents were alive, and what stands out to me is that they had a Down syndrome daughter, our youngest in our family. Carol Ann is with Jesus, too. And 
went to bed at 11 at night today in that house, they're still up. And if you got up at 5 in the morning, they're already up. That's the way they operated as they slowly guided my sister Carol Ann in her fear and down the steps to the main floor. Biblical management was the fixture, and there was a biblical management at the time that was unfolding that served as a means of really a spiritual discipline to all the members of that family as to how, you know, time doesn't manage us. You know, we are put here to manage time. And then there was Jesus who said it in the fullness of time. Paul would say regarding Jesus, God sent forth captures your attention, doesn't it? And so you keep making your way through the biblical management principles that are found here. She puts her hands to the distaff, her hands hold the spindle. There's a heavy emphasis here on the tactile. She's a very hands-on type of an individual, not a helicopter flying mum by any stretch of the imagination. She knows how to manage her altitudes, between high and low when it comes to raising the family. She knows when to swoop down. She knows when to ascend. But what interests me all the more, and this comes likewise from the book of Ruth, when you get to verse 20, you've got to understand that in the Jewish culture and throughout the Old Testament, the people who had their vineyards were responsible to make certain that the fruit of the land on the outskirts would be made available for those who were in, in an impoverished state. So that when somebody was hurting financially, they would come walking down the Jewish paths. And this biblical manager of a woman has made certain that there is enough there for them to glean so that they can then take it home. And should it be that she's out there overseeing the way in which these fields are being managed, she will make certain that she herself is putting such foods in the hands of those who are impoverished. And that's why it says now in verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor. In other words, she's helped in the gleaning, and now she's taking from the richness of the land and placing it directly in the hands of those who are experiencing need at this point in their lives. This woman is a biblical manager of needs, of time, of provision, of help. God is the owner. We are the managers. Well, it says she's not afraid of snow because she's a woman of Wisconsin, you see. A Jewish woman of Wisconsin. I think go to my year. Actually, former prime minister of Israel was schooled in Milwaukee. So she would have been nodding her head at this point. Not afraid of snow for her household. All her household clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. But now what also gets my attention is that her husband is known in the gates. And if you are studying the book of Ruth and you're pondering the way in which Ruth navigated uh, the, the geography of Israel, you know that Boaz, her husband-to-be, his responsibility was to provide leadership at the gates. And so throughout this, 
will find an emphasis then upon the gates. This means then that the word is out. People are talking about her management skills, his leadership skills. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes, you see, to the merchants. She's a skilled woman. She seems to have a, a, a sense when her hands are on a wide range of things where she's the manager and God's the owner, much like, much like Ruth Graham. Been to the Cove. It's a great place to study scriptures for a week, take a week of vacation. Even Dr. Kaiser has taught there in the past. Well, when Billy Graham stumped the world preparing people for hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, his biographer tells us Ruth stayed back on Black Mountain building an earthly home. As their children grew and their privacy diminished, you say privacy or privacy, I'm not sure, she set about to construct an environment that suited both her uncompromising aesthetic tastes and her preference for solitude. So where do you go? Well, in 1954, the Grams had the chance to buy a heavily wooded 150-acre cove. That's why it's called the cove to this day. Between two hog rising up behind Mount This was a time when many people were wanted to move away from the town, uh, rather to the town, rather than out the country. So two mountain families offered the land at a reasonable price. This narrow, steep, winding clay road was barely passable, and well, Billy wondered at the wisdom of trying to build a home on the side of a mountain, but he left the decision To his mild alarm, she made it. And while he was on a trip to the West Coast, she borrowed the money from the bank, bought the land, fixed up the coal cabin one of the mountain families had abandoned. The whole family used it for a time for weekend retreats. And then while Billy was in Europe in the Far East during 55-56, she scoured the North Carolina mountains. My favorite comes next. Bouncing up and down in her Jeep and down back roads and into remote hollows, popping in and out of gas stations, little grocery stores with bread signs stenciled. Some of the citizens found it hard to believe that this feisty creature in blue jeans and army jacket was the wife of Billy Graham or that she was serious about wanting to buy old houses, but her scavenging turned up five cabins, several truckloads of lumber, well-weathered bricks, cords of crooked fence rails, and a yard sale's worth of rough-hewn rustic authentica. And as a result, she built a house. Thinking. She built a home. You know, biblical manager understands we're not merely here to build a house. We're here to build a home. And Joseph and Mary understood that. They understood that they were the managers, not the owner of Jesus. 
giver. There's a third objective here I want to draw out to you. It's found in verse 25 down through verse 27. If you and I, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to raise a mom, well, then clearly you're going to have to consider with me the character that she is to exhibit. So beginning in verse 25, here's that word strength again. Draw a line back to verse 17 where, you know, her body pump, she dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. Well, now, here in verse 25, strength, same word again, but this time in dignity, are her clothing. In other words, when you are raising your mom, you're doing it in such a way then that when people look at her, they say, that's class. There's a sense of dignity about her. She commands respect in the way in which she disciplines her tongue, the way in which she listens as others speak. She finds the appropriate places to interject thoughts succinctly and effectively that have lasting impact. She's a woman of strength. She's a woman of dignity. That's her appearance when it talks about her clothing. But now you look at what comes next. She laughs at the time to come. Nikki, this is a verse you love, don't you? Well, what do we mean by she laughs at the time to come? Well, now, a lot of people are threatened by times. She stays at least one season ahead. So then, if it's spring, she's busy thinking summer summer, she's busy thinking fall. In other words, she is not mastered by time. Rather, she is a manager of time. She is proactive with time, not reactive to time. And as a result, she is not threatened by time. She is well prepared for the next season that's coming. And so whether it be in the matter of clothing no matter preparations of the house, whatever, she is well underway of making certain that that next season is so well managed that by the time it gets here, they're already set and ready for action, as Paul's told. That's the picture why she can laugh at this point when it comes to the days to come, the time to come. This is the biblical management of proper preparation, the proper use of time. So you get to verse 26. When you get to verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. And notice what comes next. I've got it highlighted. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The word for teaching there, the Hebrew word is Torah. Torah, which is used to describe the first five books of your Old Testament. So in other words, scripture is on her tongue. Not merely on her heart, but she is now moving from heart to tongue. What I want you to know is the manner by which she communicates Torah, because it goes on to say, with regard to this incredible woman at this point, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The Hebrew word for kindness here is hesed, the very word which was used to describe Ruth in the book of Ruth, the very word which is used to describe God in relationship to his people. 
So now what we've got is a woman who is offering chesed to others with Torah on her mind, on her lips, from her heart, so she now is applying truth to life. This is powerful. This is what raising a mom is all about, you see, which I think some of the Bushes understood when Barbara Bush was jeered and many resisted her, her opportunity to come and speak at Wallace State College. In retrospect, as she looked back on that, in her final letter to her, her children before she passed away, she had come to save in faith in Jesus Christ, along the way. She wrote to them, we are in a transitional period right now. Fasting and exhilarating times. Looking back on my Wellesley experience, learning to adjust to the change and the choices we men and women are facing in this culture. So maybe we should adjust faster, but then again, maybe slower. But whatever the era, whatever the times, one thing will never change. Fathers and mothers, if you have children, put them before yourself. Read to your children. Hug your children. Love your children. What happens in terms of what's important does not depend on what happens in the White House, but rather on what happens in your house. That was her final letter to her children. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So she looks well to the ways of her household. And what fascinates me about that word ways here at this point is that that word ways has to do with where in a culture, an agricultural culture, wagons had come down trails, where the grooves in the trails were. You understand the movements from A to B, you see. What we're saying is that here's a woman who understands the movements of her family from A to B to C. She looks well to the ways, the patterns of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. We're on then to the fourth and final objective of raising that mom well. And here it comes in verses 28 through 31. And then be sure to consider fourthly the praise that she is to receive. And she deserves it. What I want you to see here, beginning in verse 28, is that her children don't praise her seated. The idea is that when she enters the house, when she enters the room, poetically speaking, symbolically speaking at this point, they stand. They stand up in respect. There's a sense of respect there in the symbolic statement, the visual rising up. And notice how it combines the visual with the verbal. They rise up, but then they speak. They call her blessed, which is a huge word in the Jewish culture because you trace it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and you see how, how God had ordained the idea of blessing the days and the movements of 
plan of salvation. So here it comes at you. Her children rise up, call her blessed. That's one primary stakeholding unit. Her husband also, he praises her. But now it's out in the gates. And so this statement is not merely coming from the husband. This statement is coming from everybody. Because it's in quotes in your English Standard Version. Many women have done excellently. But you surpass them all. And can you imagine this being said to a Moabitess in a Jewish culture? It would be part of the line that leads to Jesus. It ends then in 30 and 31. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is to be praised. And now you begin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the opening sections of Proverbs. You end the last chapter. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You've got the male gender at the beginning. You've got the female gender at the end. The book of Proverbs is so extraordinarily balanced with wisdom, and the idea is that she is to be such a person that the fear of the Lord is part and parcel of the way in which she lives her life. And I thought about that when I was walking the corridors of Moody Church, where I used to attend. At that point, I hadn't even thought about becoming a and there were pictures of all the former pastors. And there was a picture of people like Warren Hughes, who just went home to be with Jesus in the last couple of weeks. And Dr. Harry Ironside. Ironside, powerful pastor of the Moody Church. So I was standing there in his picture, and I was thinking about his mother, Sophia, who would pray this prayer over her son each and every night as he was growing up. Father, to save my son early, keep him from ever desiring anything else than to live for you. Father, make him willing to be kicked if necessary and cuffed, to suffer shame or anything else for Jesus' sake. Her focus was on one thing and one thing only, that he would have put his faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as his Savior his Lord. And this is the sort of woman you see to consider the praise that she is to receive. You pull all that together, and as you have spotted it at the very end of 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And there again, she's having an impact on the whole culture because it's at the gates, frankly, at the judiciary system where decisions were made where her influence is being felt through the life of Boaz and others. And then we think of what God has given you and me. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. And when you think of Jesus on that cross, and looking down upon Mary, you would say to the Apostle John, Behold,
father now. And for the mother here, the one who has children. There are some here whose child is no longer with you. You minister at the points of need. Some will receive calls, others might not. Text or not. She is still worthy in your ministries. May she sense that when you step those here who have the opportunity to verbally and visually honor mom. And there are others here this morning who have now seen their moms leave our midst, minister to them at their point of need. And through the wide spectrum of experiences that this congregation embraces week by week, year by year, bless and bless in a powerful way so that the mothers of this congregation are honored in Jesus' glory. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.